Hey, dear listeners, it's Marie Mayhew, your host here at the Whatever Remains podcast, and I want to wish you a happy and healthy 2019. And also, here is the next episode of our series on Denver International Airport. Now, when I was getting started with the research on this project, I came across an article called The Definitive Guide to Denver International Airport's Biggest Conspiracy Theories by John Wenzel in the Denver Post. And after reading it, I realized, one, definitely it is the definitive guide for all things conspiracy theory at that airport. And two, I have to talk to this guy. The great thing is John Wenzel is a reporter on a number of different topics, not just conspiracy theories. He writes on comedy, music, film, books, video games, popular culture for the Denver Post for over a decade. Awesome job. Uh, He has been a contributor to Rolling Stone, Esquire, Vice, The Guardian, and others, and now slumming it slightly by coming on the Whatever Remains podcast. Uh, I really appreciate him coming on and speaking with me about this stuff. It was fascinating. And I also appreciate his patience because we uh, we taped this back in um, God, back in September. So it's been a long time coming, but I hope you guys enjoy it. I also strongly, strongly encourage you to follow him on Twitter. He's at John Wenzel. That is W-E-N-Z-E-L. And uh, yeah, Enjoy, and Happy New Year. And John, I do want to get one thing out of the way really quickly. Are you a lizard person? Um, that I'm aware of, no. That you're not okay. Good. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. You you'd be surprised at how many, how many people that we talk to, in the podcast world actually would would answer that with the affirmative. But um, John, yeah. so thank you, <laughs> thank you for talking to me um, about you know about Denver International Airport and sort of its its illustrious history, and where it uh, and where it got started in the scheme of conspiracy theories. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your sort of your start with DIA? Yeah, so, you know, the first time I ever saw DIA was, um, I, I can't imagine it was too long after it was built. It was just, you know, visiting family out in Denver. I'm from Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. originally, and I flew out to Denver in, uh, I believe it was 1999, and uh, yeah, I, I, I just was visually impressed with it as a civilian <laughs> right so to speak as as you know just your average person i was just like this, this is crazy i've never seen anything this big this isolated i mean it feels like it's on the moon it's miles from downtown it's yeah. surrounded by nothing it's massive i think when it was built it was the second or third largest airport in the world so yeah when i joined the denver post and became a reporter there i started covering it in kind of small ways bits and pieces and then, you know, the conspiracy element, just from a news angle, the artistic mm-hmm. element, the, the public art collection there, 
really took on its own life and became its own story and its own beat in some ways. So I've been fortunate enough to cover, you know, parts of that over the years. So that's that's kind of my my journey with TIA, no pun intended. When I so I'm also I'm from Boulder. So I fly into DIA. Um, I used to fly into Stapleton, which was the old airport. And then again, mm-hmm. you know, I live I live right near Stapleton. Actually, there's still oh really still remnants of it. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a United Airlines training center now. So oh, they have giant wow. mock-ups of airplanes inside it. That's very that's cool. where they train pilots. It was a perfectly usable airport in a lot of you know it it served its purpose. It was perhaps getting a bit small for the city, but in building this. Like you said, it's it's really large. It's on, uh, I want to say, like 140 kilometers of land. Especially when it was built, it was very, very isolated. And they made a lot of choices and they made a lot of... They were very ambitious in general with what they wanted to do and, and what they wanted to have in that airport. And I think of just in general like the art collection, right? And when it was, especially when it was thought of in the 1990s, Art was not something that you would normally see in an airport. To me, seeing that is one of the things that is that lends sort of to the idea of the conspiracy, right? Because you have a lot of different opinions in, in these art, in, in the murals, the installations, that don't necessarily lend well to, to being a calming influence, <laughs> I would say, in travel. It has, you know... Something also to do with the type of art, which which you referenced. I mean, airports, if you look hard enough, you'll see examples of art at any airport going back decades, whether it's mm-hmm. someone's grandma's painting mm-hmm. that they happen to like and put up in their, you know, outside their office or something, to public art, because a lot of cities have had these public art programs for years where they give one or two percent of every construction budget of every um, municipal building or municipal funded building to public art. And Denver has that. Denver has a 1% for art program, as they call it. And so I think if you look hard enough, art is not hard to find at airports. Certainly bigger cities have had commissions from sculptors and things like that. In Denver, it's both an embrace of that public art and really putting it front and center as they have in various ways. And the fact that, again, as you said, the nature of this art is really eyebrow raising. Um, This isn't, you know, smiley faces and children holding puppies and things. It's people with firearms and, you know, sort of dark implications, gargoyles, Freemason symbols, um, snarling sculptures of blue horses with glowing red eyes, you know, raised up on their haunches. This is weird stuff <laughs> by by any standard. So absolutely, I think I think DIA Im- really embraced it. But I also think that they, in in some fundamental ways, they're not that much different than a lot of big airports. It's just something you know. There's there's just some alchemical mixture of things there that has just gelled in in this way to really bring attention to it. What is it about DIA that you think? has has really f- I hate to say this because I'm such a like Denver booster mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in in some ways you know like culturally and, and in my job as an A&E reporter for yeah. the Denver Post but I feel like it has less to do with Denver mm-hmm. and more to do with timing 
Um, and obviously the scale of the project plays mm-hmm. a big role. The resources, the, the civic machinery that had to, you know, turn or grind to a halt, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like it's timing because the airport, you know, opened in 1995. That's really when the Internet was strapping rockets to its feet. And it's the first major international airport of, of kind of the internet age and and maybe that dates me and makes me sound old because i was in you know high school um in the mid 90s and just starting college but when i think about the timing of it you know it really started getting attention just for how bizarre it was for the construction delays the cost overruns things like that and this is when the internet was forming this is when mm-hmm. GeoCities web pages started popping up and, and email was getting very widely used, not just for business or government or research facilities, but for college students and um, crackpots and, you know, <laughs> anyone who had a internet connection, a dial-up. So um, I, th- I honestly think that has a lot to do with it. I think it just really started gathering steam at the right time, at a time when people were getting more connected, when things that couldn't be instantly or immediately verified started circulating in the air. And then on top of that, you've got all these other elements to it. As I said, the inexplicable, um, uh, seemingly inexplicable, you know, construction details, the nature of some of the art. But to me, it's it's a little bit less to do with Denver and more to do with um, the the specifics of the project as well as the fact that it just it, it travels well and again no pun intended but it, it really does it's it's the perfect thing to just google and just, it, it just get lost in and we love the puns i love the puns um <laughs> speaking about it being so much out there what are some of your favorite the big conspiracy things within um within dia but your personal favorites and then having actually been there and had access sort of behind the curtain, what were some of your favorite factual things that you actually, that you got to see? Sure. So, you know, I, I've, I've reported on them in different ways over the years. I'm not a business or a finance or, you know, politics reporter. So it's more from a cultural standpoint, from little things like programs they do to, to activate, you know, quote unquote, activate spaces at the airport up to, you know, battles between the city and the airport or the city's uh, art institutions uh, and the airport about about public art. And then a couple of years ago, um, it was it was actually just before Halloween 2016, I got to tour the airport and go inside and behind the scenes, you know, negotiated with them for a little while and had to provide documentation and my... I, I can't remember if I had to provide my birth certificate. I definitely had to send them mm. copies of my driver's license and things like that. And got to go underground in the tunnels. Uh, I got to see the original baggage system, how it was built. Got to drive up onto the tarmac through some of these, you know, outlets from the tunnels. And yeah, so so I've, I've been fortunate to see some of that stuff, but some favorites emerged very quickly. And when I was reporting the story, which I'm going to be referencing here a little bit, this mm-hmm. Denver Post story from, it was right, right, right around Halloween 2016. That's when the airport had an exhibit on the conspiracy theories. And they really, from a PR standpoint, embraced oh. the attention they were getting for that. And I think at the time, even their own 
PR guy calculated, you know, sort of loosely, but th- this is worth millions of dollars of free publicity to them. So of course they're seeing this as an opportunity instead of like a, a fly that they want to swat away. But, but yeah, to answer your question, I kind of like the, the secret societies mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting to me and sort of taps into that Da Vinci code, you know, or I should say post Da Vinci code mm-hmm. zeitgeist a little bit. Not that that's super contemporary. Um, the artistic clues to the apocalypse, which a lot of people point oh, out, you yes. know, paintings. Um, the Easter egg hunt, give, the evil Easter egg hunt that is the uh, the, the art, art clues. Yeah, yeah. The, the and, and anything that gives someone a creepy vibe there can fall under this 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 category because it's so broad. The Leo Tanguma paintings, things like that. There's the underground bunkers that people say are housing aliens, and I think mm-hmm. that has something to do with. The government is hiding aliens from us conspiracy that goes back decades, you know, to Roswell and um, Hangar 18 at Wright Pat Air Force Base in in Dayton, where I'm from. Relatively sophisticated conspiracy theories. There's the Nazi runways. There, people say they see from a from a distance, like a very high distance, uh, like a few thousands of feet that the runways are shaped like swastikas the airport is less apt to talk about those because for you know potentially obvious reasons they don't want to wade into something potentially political that's when it mm-hmm. sort of the publicity i think stops being fun and easy for them and they have to right. talk about real stuff um, <laughs> and but, yeah, and they have to acknowledge yeah. they're like yes they our runways are not laid out like swastikas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they almost feel silly saying it. Yeah. To me, I would say like the tunnels and the alien stuff is my favorite. That's that's the one I think is the most um, sort of juicy in terms of not not that I think it's credible. Um, in fact, I have lots of research and firsthand experience to say that it's all BS. Um, I, I just think it's the most amusing. I, I think it's the most captivating in some ways because it's captivated the airport too, the employees, the staff. They they play into it. They they do chalk drawings of aliens on the walls of the tunnels. Oh, they wear masks. You know, <laughs> they wear masks. They, to, somebody's taking off on a flight and they they peek up from around the corner yep. wearing an alien mask. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not, you know, not as a matter of course every day. No, There's no. thousands of people that work at the city within the city, but there was a uh, a news crew, a TV crew from Fox 31 KDVR, which is the Fox affiliate here in Denver, <laughs> and they were riding around on, a, you know, like a golf cart equivalent in the bowels of DAI uh, doing a story on it, and one of the employees put on like a lizard person mask, and... You know, they used that footage in their broadcast and sort of played it up, you know, tongue in cheek. I believe it was kind of in slow motion. It's a little, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, grainy. There's a close up on it, so it's right. kind of grainy. It's good. It's and then good. that gets picked up on YouTube, and people use that as evidence. And they say, look, here's evidence. There's a lizard person on a golf cart or whatever. <laughs> or, you know, this, this exhibit had some of these examples, too, of things that aren't even in Denver International Airport. They're in other airports or other places. But they've been attributed to Denver Airport, and because a lot of the Internet is not interested in verifying facts or looking at sources, right. those get picked up, too. So that's kind of my favorite one. I feel like, especially with conspiracy theory, we're going to talk a little about that, just about conspiracy theories in general and sort of the nature of them. Um, in this episode, but everything is is 
it's self-fortifying, right? So <laughs> if you are doing something that's tongue-in-cheek or if you are disproving something, you basically are proving it. It's, right. it's a self-fulfilling loop. It's very difficult with conspiracy theory to break out of to break out of any kind of confirmation bias that's happening with that. And I think that that, to me, that's one of the most interesting things about DIA is you have this functional, recent uh, municipality that is basically flying people in and out, hundreds, hundreds of people, thousands of people a day, and it's somehow taken on this, this nefarious life of its own. And it's there the the two sides of that coin are just sort of like really they shouldn't make any sense together and yet the more you try and um decode it and say that this this mural is actually about genocide and it's about rebirth and look the artist is still alive and this is what he says about it you know the more it it still fortifies that that something's being hidden from you and I, what i find especially kind of like both funny but also sort of sort of sad is the artist um uh, Tanguma, right? Am I saying his name Leo Tanguma? Yeah, he's okay. the the painter who did the those painter. those big murals. The, yeah. yeah, this poor guy is out in his studio and a, a van full of people will come by and sort of accuse him, you know, of digging into the conspiracy theory and he has to walk people through kind of through his art, right? And this is why he did it and this is this is the thought behind it, and a lot of it is about is about um, is about his culture and is about his beliefs, and putting it out there into like you were saying a public space to be viewed, and instead of understanding it from at least somewhat from what his intent was, that it takes on this whole other intent that is not that was not prescribed to it, which is sort of you know what art is in general. You're not going to be able to. You know, you put something out there, you're not going to be able to help how people interpret it. Right. But at the same time, it's like I feel like a lot of this art was about uh, was about cultural beliefs. It was about it was about Denver in a lot of ways. It was specific to the Rocky Mountains. And now it has taken on sort of this almost um, pastiche of 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 evil. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and it, it's a place where a lot of disparate paranoia, you know, about lizard people, about <clears throat> Nazis infiltrating local government, which mm-hmm. is very real here in Denver. That's, that is one thing that I think is specific to Colorado, or mm-hmm. maybe not specific, but at least um, relevant. You know, in the 20s and 30s here in Denver, the mayor was an open KKK member, you know, the governor. That, I mean, there's that movie Black Klansman that just came out, that Spike Lee movie that's based mm-hmm. on a true story about mm-hmm. the KKK in Colorado Springs. So there are elements of, of truth to it, but, but then there's the Illuminati and the New World Order. Um, are those things real? Uh, are those verifiable elements in the airport? Not that I've found, but right. but they, they weirdly coexist peacefully with the lizard people and the Nazis and, you know, the gargoyles and... and this stuff is just divorced from its from its context right. and then sort of restitched together. And then to your point earlier, I would also say um, this stuff doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, my articles, this podcast, uh, other articles people have written, 
they all help it. They all keep it alive. They they fan the flame or they they throw you know hot coals on it, whatever the metaphor is. Right. Um, and you know, I think you've got on the one hand you've, the the push and pull or the sort of you know whatever it is between the conspiracy theorist and and the airport, and there's varying degrees of severity there. And it's sort of like the conspiracy theorists are holding this pendulum and they're saying, "This is what we see." answer me, you know, and they, they just thrust it at the airport and at the PR people and at the public in some ways. And then the airport catches it and says, no way, this is, this is the fact. And they push it back. But I think they're both pushing harder in recent years because there's so much tension on what they're doing. Mm. And when this was happening in the nineties, uh, in the early two thousands, they're really, you know, it, it, it wasn't as performative. And now I feel like the conspiracy theory community around it is just, it's, it's kind of performative. It's, it's, they know they have an audience. Uh, Jesse Ventura has mm-hmm. a big, um, a big conspiracy following and came out and did, I have not yet seen it for, I was going to yeah. do it to, to research for the podcast, but I said, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, anyone, you who researched this, me who researched it, anyone who's really interested in it is going to find it kind of basic and foundational. But if you know nothing about it, it's, it's maybe kind of a fun intro. Some of it is a little cryptic and a little, a little strange, like the, like the AUAG, um, cart in the floor. I, I, I myself, if I'm a traveling into Denver and I see it, I don't even really know what that means, right? I don't even have a context for it. It's a little minor cart for our dear listeners. Um, it's just sort of this tile that has a, a AU-AG um, in a minor cart. And it's, it's taken on all sorts of Again, conspiracy-wide, it's it's taken on all sorts of meaning to it, but it's silver and gold is what mm-hmm. I yeah, is what I periodic table periodic yeah. table. But if you're looking at it, you know, and again, like you, you may just be looking down and say, I have no idea what that's interesting. I have no idea what that means, though. I will say every time I come into I come into the airport and I'm going to get my baggage, I will take a picture of the murals because they are just. <laughs> You do look at them and you're like, is that a, you know, is that a Nazi? You know, you do stop. And yeah. Well, it's, it's striking. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, 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 you know, especially in this culture we're in at the moment, saturated by, you know, video games and sci-fi and fantasy and cosplay and things like that. I mean, this, the one side of the mural with the, mm-hmm. you know, sort of fascist looking, Darth Vader meets yes. <laughs> whatever, you know, Gas Thanos mask, guy yes. holding like an automatic rifle. Yeah. It's crazy looking. The, the murals are, are often divorced from the context of their creation. Yeah. And Leo Tanguma painted those as a hopeful story of, I think it was Children of the World Dream Peace. Yes. Is the name of the yes. full mural. And it's, it's about peace and environmental stewardship uh, following, you know, times of war and pollution. And, and conspiracy theorists only focus on the grim part, but they don't look at the rainbow-laden resolution. And the mural is meant to be read from right to left. It's, it's not the way most Westerners receive right. images or words. We yeah. don't read right to left. But right. some people do, you know. I mean, that's that's not – the English language is not the only language in the world. And True. The, True. the Western Hemisphere has certain practices that are not um, followed in the Eastern Hemisphere. So, so yeah, it's – it's like if, if you take away all the tools that he gave us as an artist and all the meaning he imbued 
it with to interpreting it, then yeah, it really is just like, what is, what am I even looking at? <laughs> like, this is bonkers. <laughs> but position it inside those things, then it makes perfect sense. And it's actually a very sort of comforting message. Maybe not, maybe the imagery isn't comforting, but, but yeah, I mean, people, people love that one. And it's, it's, you know, it's huge. I mean, there's, there's 40 pieces in this public art collection at Denver International Airport total. This is arguably the, the biggest one. It's 28 feet wide. That's a, yes. It is, yeah, yeah it's, and, you don't and, miss you it. You know, they have sculptures, of course, that are bigger than that, like Hanging Garden, which is mm-hmm. the subject of some controversy in the sea terminal. But yeah. um, in terms of a painting, a hand-painted painting, 28 feet wide, that's remarkable. That is. So I do want to, I want to hear about the, the deacquisition, but we do have to talk about Lucifer, just because it yes. is, it is oh, the, absolutely. if my listeners haven't already, you know, seen it or heard of it, you are leaving the airport on Pena Boulevard. There is um, this part of Colorado is still or was, you know, pretty desolate and pretty flat, especially in winter. You're not going to there's not other buildings around. As you're leaving the airport, there is this ginormous statue of a Mustang, a horse um, reared up on its hind legs and it is bright blue. And terrifyingly anatomically correct. And terrifyingly anatomically correct. Exactly. I mean, it, it's again, it's just something you look at and you're like, huh. I remember the first time I saw it. Again, one of the first times I flew in. And I was just like, what is this? This is not, this is not something that, this is scary. And again, my parents who have lived in, lived in Colorado for a very long time were just naturally horrified. My mother's not a big Broncos fan anyways. She she was even more, she was like, ah, it's that, it's that awful looking, oh, you know, every time she sees it, they come, you know, if they come to pick us up, she, she has to, you know, she has to make the uh, noise at it. Even if you just had zero context in this ginormous, um, terrifying demon horse, it literally led to the demise directly of its artist. Yeah. Right? Which is Yeah, so, so Luis Jimenez mm-hmm. is, is the artist. He's a, a fairly notable sculptor. Um, <laughs> and this is another piece, I think, that maybe looks less weird to people out here. <laughs> the, the silhouette of Mustang, as mm-hmm. it's officially called, um, although I love the super death metal Lucifer <laughs> moniker as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's totally death metal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's some awesome pictures of lightning happening behind it out there. I would encourage people to Google. See. Anyway, um, this, this image, the, the silhouette, silhouette of it at least it looks like the wyoming state license plate it looks like a cowboy minus the cowboy of course Mm -hmm. um it looks as you said it looks like the broncos logo this is something that is a familiar image to people who live out west um whether they're transplants or natives so it's it's a little less strange however it's a lot more (laughs) because it's 32 feet it's a huge sculpture uh, it's it weighs about nine thousand pounds, and unfortunately, um, part of it fell on Luis Jimenez and killed him when he was working on it. Not when it was being installed, not when it was you know finished, but he was, if I remember correctly, he was mostly a neon artist, a signage mm-hmm. artist, and he did this piece. It had a lot of meaning to him, and it's got this sinister edge to it because people see it as this kind of cursed artifact. 
or, you know, one of the four horses of the apocalypse, it's, uh, it's also been called. I think, again, like that type of provenance, right, is it's probably, you know, when you when you statistically look at people who work in statues or people who work with large, you know, whatever it is, that's going to happen. There's going to be a statistical, you know, normal bell curve for that. When it becomes the one thing that you're going to put into an installation in sort of this already very charged internet environment that you're talking about, that's where I think that is just the catnip for the conspiracy theory. It killed its, it killed its, it killed its creator. It is evil, you know, like type of thing. And I just, that to me was, is, is the icing on the cake that is Blucifer. And I agree with you. I, I think Blucifer is, I hope the person that came up with that trademarked it and is just making money off of it because that is genius. Yeah, well, there's definitely some, like, bands, you know, local bands and artists, and, you know, they have T-shirts and stickers and things like that that sort of have taken it to heart. Aww. And uh, I will say, with in terms of Lucifer, that, that came after a lot of stuff, oh. and after the conspiracies had sort of already gained a lot of steam. Oh, so it, yeah. It really benefited from a pre-existing environment of conspiracy theories and these heated discussions about public art and what's offensive and what isn't and things like that. I mean, one of the first people to really write about all this stuff was a guy named, and and you may know this, you may have found this or spoken about this earlier, but Jared Jukang Mayer, he was a writer for Westward, um, mm-hmm. which was Denver's local alternative news weekly, or still is, I should mm-hmm. say. And that was in oh, 2007, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And he was picking up on all this like sort of organic crackpot chatter mm-hmm. out there on ham radio and pamphlets, 2000s era message boards and that kind of thing. And so really, like there was there was the sort of original conspiracy theory stuff, which is what people started taking attention to. And then Jared wrote this article in 2007, and that just, like, that was the match to the fuse for a lot of people. There was this guy, George Nori. Have you heard of him? I have not. I'm not. So he had a nationally syndicated radio show called Coast to Coast. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. And he did, did like, four hours on it, and that just added fuel to the fire. Um, and, And that and Jared's article and... You know, I'm not exactly sure of the installation date of Lucifer, but these things kind of all came after the chatter and the theories that started to bubble up organically from, you know, from the conspiracy community. They all just kind of joined forces like Voltron style, like, you know, <laughs> maybe not consciously but, or intentionally, but just like, nice. I mean, it all just like, it just became this ironclad proof to some people. Uh, that is, so that's. I think that definitely, you know, all the points that you've brought up, especially with the Internet, is is really very illustrative of how of how something like this can gain steam and really just take take a lot of imagination. But then also it's I like the fact that the the people that work there and the PR department and, you know, how they've been able to harness some of that, at least to a certain degree, back and have sort of that dialogue back with popular culture about this being, you know, we know that this exists and we know that we, you, you talk about this and here's sort of, here's some exhibits and here's some, some fun things to think about. So tell us a little bit about sort of where the art and the airport is headed next. And the, I know that there was a, a lot about the, the acquisition. And... So right now there's a, there's a major multi-billion dollar um, project, or it's, it's, it's in excess of $1 billion at least, um, in the main terminal. And 
They are redoing the main terminal, which is this massive open floor plan area underneath what looks like a giant circus tent. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's DIA's iconic canvas or whatever the material is um, sort of peaks. Frequently when you're flying in or when you're on the tarmac or, you know, certain angles you see of it, it's set against the mountains. So the main terminal is essential to DIA's identity, conspiracy theories or not. Mm-hmm. And they're redoing that. And so, you know, they're taking some pieces out that um, one piece, you know, never worked. One piece was like a tiled floor that had a fountain that was taken out years ago. Some of my former colleagues at this publication called The Colorado Sun broke a story about some alleged um, misdealings with vendors and, you know, mm-hmm. contracts and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of attention around that. But What's a little less easy to see in there is that they're taking these pieces of public art out. In some, some cases, which were commissioned for the airport and are site-specific and unique and not pieces you can just take a little bit out. You know, the tile floor is all one art piece and it has to mm-hmm. be removed as a whole. Hmm. And they have to get the artist's permission for that. They have to talk to the Denver Commission on Cultural Affairs, which administrates the um, and makes decisions in concert with the airport about public art. Um, and essentially manages that collection. Denver Arts and Venues, which is uh, a city office that also manages that. But you know, there was there was there was a controversy last year and maybe even two years ago about a piece called Hanging Garden. It's a massive sculpture that's kind of made to look like a Aztec or you know sort of Mayan garden. And you see it when you get off the train uh, at the Sea Concourse, and the artist was criticizing the airport and saying it wasn't well cared for and it should be a living thing and the airport saying we didn't know what we got ourselves into because this costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to maintain over the years and it leaks and so there have been those kind of like a little more wonky less you know sexy so to speak (laughs) battles about public art at dia but the ones that get the attention are you know Notre Denver, which is the name of the gargoyles, or, you know, uh, (laughs) children dream of world peace, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those are the ones that get the attention, the, the, the Freemasons, um, time capsule, you know, but, but then there's also this, this very real thing going on, uh, behind, you know, sort of (laughs) parallel to it. These things have real restrictions on them. There's, there's about 40 pieces, I think I said, mm-hmm. uh, and the collection, I think, as a, as a whole is worth about $14 million. That includes all the sculptures, paintings, um, and that interior garden. Uh, and, and you know what? I'm sorry. I've, I've been saying hanging garden. I believe it's called interior garden. I'm just looking at a note here I made. Uh, the artist was Michael Singer. And that was part of the the 1% for art program. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you know, the airport is, they're they're a revenue generating business. So when something costs them money that's unanticipated and not planned for it, they want to get rid of it probably. And that's kind of the fight that's going on over that. Um, But some of these are, like I said, some of these artists have said they've changed the terms on them and. So, 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 so there's, you know, for the most part, it's, it's a fairly static collection, but you know, when pieces do have to be removed, there's a big process to it. And it's not just the airport can't just say, let's get rid of this. Like they have to go through the mayor's office essentially. Wow. I had no idea. I actually thought that they could, they could actually just move something based on construction, but I had no idea. They're bound to terms that were signed with the artist and with the city, especially if taxpayer money 
uh, paid for some of it. And in some cases, you know, some of this did because there's a 1% for art program. Yeah. We have a science and cultural facilities district, which is like a seven county tax district that pays for public art um, and, you know, both performing and fine and visual. So Denver, Denver's very invested in this, um, literally and figuratively. That's good. That's good to hear. I mean, it's good to hear, but they can't just, you can't just take an action, you know, unilaterally. And again, I think it's, it is one of those things that to me, that is what helps diffuse some of the, um, some of the conspiracy is I don't want to, I don't mean to call it bureaucracy, but it's like that there's taxes. <laughs> you, know, there's, right. you, you have to go through certain processes. There aren't, there isn't the one grand uh, you know, world order that, that can just dig up an airport, right? right. There's not a well, group of I mean, people that can unilaterally and, make that yeah. in a vacuum. You know? Yeah, and I mean, not to interrupt, but, no, no, go ahead. you know, it, it, it has this, this sort of hydra effect. It's like the more heat this stuff generates, the more attention it gets. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a multi-headed thing. It, it comforts some people, but other people, they say, look, look, this is what's always been going on. There's this bureaucratic confusion. No one's got the real story. No one's on top of it all. <clears throat> you know, who doesn't hate traveling? Who doesn't hate government and cost overruns and, and bureaucracy right. and all that? It's, it's, it's sort of the right time and the right place for this kind of speculation. People's willingness to believe this stuff works very nicely with BIA embracing it. And, and I think it's a very savvy and calculated move for them to do that because airports are not typically places with senses of humor. You can hold, you know, into a back room for even joking about something violent or harmful, let alone being a non-white person in Trump's America these days. So all these assumptions and pre prejudices about things, it's, it's, it's millions of dollars of free advertising for, for DIA and Jesse Ventura coming out in whatever, 2012, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, these are end times, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, it's, it's perfect for them. It's just icing on the cake, but there's also an element of they couldn't beat them. So they're joining them. They tried to dispel them for years. They tried and it just didn't work and they just got more intense. So now they're just like, all right, well, <laughs> like at least if we embrace it, we can do it on our terms a little bit. Thank you, John, for taking the time and talking to us about this. I really appreciate it. Is there, how can my, how can our listeners follow you and kind of find out what's happening, not only just at DIA, but in Denver and the arts and culture scene? Yeah, so I, I post a lot of pieces on Twitter, um, just at John Wenzel, J-O-H-N-W-E-N-Z-E-L. Uh, or denverpost.com. That's where a lot of my work appears. And our entertainment website, The Know, which is uh, like the T-H-E-K-N-O-W dot denverpost.com. Wonderful. Thank you again. Can yeah, thanks so much for having me.